Let's pray. Father in heaven, blessed be your name. You give and take away, yet may our hearts choose to say, blessed be your name, may your name be made holy. And Lord, help us do everything in your name. And as we go to your word this morning, Lord, may you soften our hearts, open our minds to hear what we have to say about the power of our words and how we can use our mouths to proclaim your name, who you are and what you've done, and everything that comes out of our mouth flows from that truth, the truth of the gospel, and that we have been redeemed and bought by the blood of Jesus Christ to live holy lives and to speak righteous words. So go before us, may you be glorified in this time, in your name, amen. You may have a seat. So for the past couple of mornings, I've been realizing as I wake up that I haven't actually needed my alarm clock all that often, because lately we've had a noisier but cuter alarm clock that wakes us up an hour or two earlier than planned. But uh, a cute little Luca wakes us up bright and early, and he loves to tell us about how beautiful a day it is and how great a sleep he had the night before. And sometimes a little insensitive when mom and dad didn't have a good night's sleep. But even then, Emily and I love cuddling up next to him and asking him questions, and he answers them right back as he babbles on and on. And... We just cannot wait to hear his first official words. That, that is one thing we're looking forward to. But it's crazy to think that his first words may actually likely be one of the words that Emily and I have said to him or around him repeatedly. And that's why I always say, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. <laughs> but then when he cries because he's hungry or grumpy, he usually mumbles, hum, 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 hum. and Emily gives me the look of victory. Right there, so. Either way, Luca's first words will probably melt our hearts. Yet I also dread a day that maybe he could very well do the opposite with his words. Because, you know, kids are cute little sinners, right? But that's the power of words. They can either build up or tear down. They can either give life or take it. Just think with me about how God created the world. Right? He spoke the earth into creation. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we know that the universe was created by the word of God. Let us make man in our image. Genesis 1.26. Right? He spoke mankind into being. He gave us life. Yet... Think about how the fall of mankind happened in the garden when the serpent spoke to Eve, cast doubt on God's words, which led to the first lie and the first sin, resulting in death. Yet despite that, think all the more about how God brought about his plan of salvation for his people as he spoke promises to his people generation after generation which was eventually embodied in the Word, capital W, who became flesh and dwelt among us, 
Jesus Christ. So how do we handle the power of words if our tongues are guilty and capable of either building up or tearing down because of sin? The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about this, as we've read here together. But uh, I hope you have your papers with you. Uh, that'll really help uh, in the direction of uh, today and this morning. So read with me the first proverb up there, uh, which talks about the power of the tongue. That's what I titled this sermon. Proverbs eighteen twenty one says this: Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. <clears throat> Those who love to use it or employ the power of the tongue will reap either the fruit of death or life. And this is going to be a roadmap today as we look at the power of the tongue and what Proverbs says about this and what the power of the tongue manifests itself in and what that leads to. And in doing so, I want to suggest four observations. Again, if you track with your papers, it'll all be there. But we'll have four observations and then four applications, and then we'll wrap up with two questions at the end. But the first observation I'd like to point out to you is that the power of the tongue is evidenced by the power of one, the power of wicked words. Look at Proverbs 11, 11. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Here, we see throughout Scripture, actually, nations of old have been overthrown due to their wickedness. Right? You hear about that all in Deuteronomy 29. And here, it's attributed to the wicked mouth. And not only do they overthrow cities, look at the next proverb, 1627, they burn like fire as well. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. James chapter 3 picks up this idea, actually this specific proverb, and talks about how the tongue, small as it is, it's a fire, a world of unrighteousness that can burn your body and soul. And a few verses later, James also talks about how this fiery tongue is so notoriously capable of blessing God, our Father, like we just sang, blessed be his name, yet at the same time cursing men made in the image of God. And he says that makes as much sense as drinking fresh water and salt water from the same fountain. Long story short, it doesn't make sense. These things ought not to be so, James says. Look at the next one, Proverbs 26. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel, probably a pot, are fervent lips, that is burning lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart when he speaks graciously. Not only do wicked words have the power to overthrow cities and burn like fire, but they have the power to hide their true form. I mean, just think about how scary that is, despite how common that is today. Picture this. This person who employs these wicked words is someone who can smile at you and talk to you, maybe even laugh with you, but deep down is actually burning with hatred and wants nothing but your demise. Yet they deceive and cover it up by saying nice things and gracious things in your face. 
about the opposite of speaking the truth in love. Right? This is actually the exact opposite that is speaking falsehood in hatred. Flashes of Genesis chapter 3. Yet the promise is clear here for those who don't give in to this deception. When he speaks graciously, believe him not. For there are seven abominations in his heart, though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. The glaze on that pot will wear off eventually and the deception will be exposed. And Hebrews 4.13 comes to mind here in that all will be naked and exposed to the one whom they must give an account. But beyond masking hatred with gracious words, look at this next form of deception that masks itself with humorous words. Proverbs 26, 18, and 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, oh, I'm only joking. Have you ever had this madman moment? I know Brad pointed this out in his sermon on friends and neighbors, but uh, I want to pick it up again and ask the question, how often, and when was the last time we've mindlessly shot hurtful comments at someone and said, oh, I'm just kidding, man. Just take a chill pill, relax, come on. Perhaps one of the easiest and most common ways we shoot these fiery arrows with our words today at people and more often than not, it's actually intentional, is by playing off our fiery, destructive words as joking. I remember one time someone telling me, Josh, no offense, but your dog's kind of ugly. Ah, just kidding. I'm like, you know, light example, but it actually hurt me a little bit. I'm like, no, my dog's not ugly. You are. No, I didn't say that. Um... (laughs) But the root of all of this is deceit and dishonesty. Listen to this next proverb, 1628. A dishonest man spreads strife. It's not a one-time thing. It actually spreads. And a whisperer, that's the word for slanderer or gossip, it separates close friends. Proverbs 1824, it's not on your paper, but it says some friends stick closer than a brother. Yet here we find that whisperers or gossips can separate these tight-knit friendships, as in gossip and slander are so powerful that it can break family ties. We thought about that. What's worse is that gossip and deceit and slander, as damaging as it is, it's so deceptively satisfying. Look, look at the truth in the next proverb, 18 verse 8. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Look, this proverb is so important that it's repeated twice verbatim in the book of Proverbs. Uh, That's why I said see also chapter 26, verse 22. That's the same uh, proverb. And Matt Mitchell, there's there's a book out in the foyer by the computer. It's the feature book this week. It's called Resisting Gossip by Matt Mitchell. I encourage you to read it. I kind of sped read through it a little bit. And he talks about these delicious morsels and how they're actually the most addictive snacks that we like to eat and devour quickly 
in our spare time because it just tastes great going down. It's our comfort food. Yet we do it so much that it has lasting and poisonous effects deep down in our bodies because it's all unhealthy snacking yet satisfying. And in fact, this is what the power of wicked words offer. Satisfaction, like delicious morsels, much like the fruit in Genesis 3, right? Everything was pleasing to the eye, yet suddenly, because the serpent cast doubt on God's words, now that's the only thing that's pleasing to the eye. That's what these wicked words are, these delicious morsels that are satisfying to the inner parts of the body, yet only up to a certain point where you realize the consequences. And we've seen that the power of wicked words, their power is destroying cities, burning like fire, masking hatred with nice words, playing off cheap shots as joking and breaking close friendships through gossip and slander, deceptively satisfying, but only to the point of the consequence. And Proverbs makes it clear that the power of wicked words bear fruit, right? Like in that first proverb we read. And the second observation I want to point out is that the fruit of these wicked words is death. Proverbs 13, 3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Yet he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Here we see a characteristic of someone who is so used to employing these wicked words, right? Simply short, they have a big mouth. And not just in a general sense, because we, we can, you can know someone who's a quiet person, yet really loud when they have opinions, right? And here we get a sneak peek into who this person is, the characteristics of this person in that He opens wide his lips to the point of death. Chapter 18, verse 6. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. As in, his wide open mouth is just saying, hey, come at me, guys. Listen to my opinions, and I'm the only one who's right. Everyone else is wrong. Yet, verse 7 says, a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips a snare to his soul. Not just physical demise, but also spiritual, a snare to his soul, his lips become. Yet even then, the fool will not stop talking because in his mind, he's the only one who's right. But he does so to his physical and spiritual downfall. But this is not just for big mouths and know-it-alls, but also for gossips and deceitful liars, as we touched on earlier. Proverbs 19.9, a false witness will not go unpunished, but he who breathes out lies will perish. I mean, listen to the gravity of these words. They will not go unpunished. They will perish. As in, the fruit of wicked words is guaranteed death. So for the wise, take heed. Which leads us to our third observation, And that the power of the tongue can also employ the power of wise words. It's the third observation, the power of wise words. Proverbs 20, verse 15, there is gold in abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Lips of knowledge, as this proverb describes, are worth more than anything that money can buy. 
There are things that, uh, if we think of our possessions, there's things that we can uh, sell and, and afford to lose and maybe get some temporary gain from. But there's also some untouchable possessions that we have that's like, nope, never selling this. Right? And that's what it's described as. Untouchable treasure. And beyond that, lips of knowledge also surround you with power. Look at the next few Proverbs. 16, 13. Righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. Twenty two eleven. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. These Proverbs uh, describe kings back then who had absolute power and sovereignty in that these Proverbs exhort the reader to gain favor uh, by speaking righteously and graciously around the king, the most powerful person in existence. Right? We have this in our lives today when we see someone of uh, influence, someone we respect. We, of course, put our best foot forward and say the best things and do the right things in order to gain favor with them. And the Proverbs say, gain favor with the king who loves righteousness, the powerful king who loves gracious words. Yet on top of kingly power, Wise words have the power to do what even kings or anyone with physical strength cannot do. Look at 1225. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Have you ever had this bad day and just where no one could do anything to please you until someone Maybe it's a family member or a friend or someone randomly saying something and you're just lifted up. Your spirit is encouraged. Even the smallest and weakest person could outmuscle the biggest and strongest person in the room because he or she lifted the weight of a man's soul through the heaviest times in his life. How did he do that? Through good and wise words. Yet more than gladness, we see that wise words lead to something even much greater. And here's our fourth observation here, is that the fruit of these wise words is life. 1624, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. And like tasty yet unhealthy snacks like gossip, as we uh, observed earlier, They kill you eventually, yet wise and gracious words are good and healthy foods that enrich both body and soul. They sweeten the soul. Think of gracious words like healthy foods for a second. Even though we'd rather eat pizzas and cheeseburgers. Oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. I'm getting hungry now. But uh, fruits and salads are much better for your well-being in the long run. 2123. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Beyond choosing the healthy option, he says, save yourself from the trouble. That is, whoever keeps his mouth and tongue from saying wicked words that lead to death, you keep yourself out of trouble. Yet even all the more from that, choosing the healthy option and saving yourself the last 
proverb here that we'll see is that our wise words can actually help others stay out of trouble. You can save others as well. 12.6, the words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. Words are powerful not only to destroy, but also to deliver. When people are steeped in gossip or lies, we actually need to remember that those people are headed for the cliff. So we can actually use our tongues and our words wisely for the sake of saving their lives. Instead of overcoming evil words with evil words when it's directed at us, do we ever think of overcoming their evil words with our good and wise words so that they can see the life that is in you and by doing so, you pull them off that cliff? The Apostle Paul picks up this idea in Romans 12, which he actually quoted from Proverbs 20 and Proverbs 25. When, when your uh, enemy is hungry, you feed him. When your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. And he tells the believer, the Apostle Paul tells the believer, to heap burning coals on their head. And that is to help them realize that uh, with the good words that you're overcoming their evil with, that they need to turn back and repent because there's life in this direction. So the question for us today is this. If we know that people, if we know people in our lives who try to kill us as they lie in wait for wicked blood, as they try to kill us with their words and they're headed to death and damnation, do we just try to save ourselves? Do we just protect ourselves from the hurt and do everything? And the Proverbs exhort us to do that, right? Choose a healthy option, stay out of trouble. But do we actually think of saving them as well by using gracious words against their wicked words? Like what an amazing picture of the gospel in this proverb in that Christ died for us while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies who, whose mouths only cursed God. Romans 5.8. So if we're in Christ then can't we do the same with our enemies? Even as they wound us with their wicked words? The power of the tongue can be used in such a life-giving way for those who are on their way to death, even if they're our own perpetrators who want to kill us with their words. That's the power of wise words which arguably, and I hope we've been seeing this, is more powerful than the power of wicked words. So we've seen that the power of wicked words through gossip and deceit can tear down cities and burn bridges of friendships and are satisfying like delicious morsels, but only to the point of death because the fruit of wicked words is death. It's our second observation. Yet we saw the power of wise words are beyond treasure and kingly power and they're all the more satisfying because the fruit of our wise words, her fourth observation, leads to life, and not just for us, but for others as well. So with that said, I want to suggest four applications from the book of Proverbs to employ the power of the tongue wisely. The first one, be slow to speak. 
Proverbs 12:16. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. When was the last time you ignored an insult and stayed quiet, even though you wanted to really trigger back? When our feelings are hurt, we have two choices in that moment. One, be a fool and let the whole world know that you're hurt and offended and not give a rip about risking hurting others, including yourself. Or two, you can be slow to speak and wisely ignore an insult because you know that comment leads to death and that person is likely headed that way as well. And by holding back your thoughts and your sinful response to an insult, you're actually helping save them from that. 29.11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. You ever want to hang up a 29.11 reference on your wall? I'd suggest picking this one over Jeremiah because you can take it as is. Uh, because uh, a fool, you'll know when he's angry. You'll know when he's offended. When they get the urge to vent their anger, whether it's to a friend or Facebook, they take it. That's what fools who are headed to death do. Yet the goal of that This venting and ranting your anger is really to take the hurt out of yourself. It's an effort to take the hurt out of yourself and you don't really realize that you're actually hurting others with that, including yourself. Rather, a wise person who is slow to speak, slow to anger, because you know your sinful instincts will just hurt or destroy yourself and others A wise person seeks to heal and restore, even if it's your own perpetrator. Look at chapter 12, verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. When we're hurt by wicked words, we usually buy into the lie of being healed from these offensive comments but by immediately defending ourselves. That's our instinct. Defending ourselves by striking back with words and venting or ranting our anger to pass it on to others rather than be slow to speak and save others. Yet the true step to healing and restoration, as the Proverbs exhort us here, is be slow to speak. Ignore an insult and quietly hold it back And in doing so, you're being slow to speak. You want true healing and restoration? Do that. The question is, is that what we truly want in the moment? The honest answer is no, more often than not. We're not slow to speak oftentimes because we want revenge rather than restoration. Yet if we're wise, according to God's eyes, in the book of Proverbs, from the word of God, we now remember and realize that immediate responses and rash words are all but sword sword thrusts. That's it. You're just wielding your sword around. And they don't help anybody, including yourself. Wise people, be slow to speak. And when we do speak, here's a second application. Speak selectively. 
15.28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Speaking selectively means taking the time, right, being slow to speak, yet taking the time to think carefully about our words, choosing our words before we say it. Which means using discernment in order to speak wise words instead of wicked words. Right? So speaking slowly and speaking selectively go hand in hand. Look at 26.4. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Speaking selectively by choosing wise words over foolish words that you are hurt by. Instead of just joining the foolish train that is on route to death. 10.19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Speaking selectively and choosing wise words might mean saying less words, sometimes even none in the moment. Because the more words we utter, the more chances, the more likely we are to hurt rather than to heal. And again, not just ourselves, but others as well. So being slow to speak and speaking selectively go hand in hand together. And on top of that, we would do well to do the third application here is to speak softly. 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Angry answers will only result in angry answers. Let me make a side comment. Angry comments on social media will only lead to angry comments on social media. But soft and gentle answers that you have taken the time to be slow and think about will have a higher probability of eliminating that wrath and anger. Now here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that every answer needs to be soft and fluffy and cuddly with zero truth in them just to avoid anger at all costs. Because otherwise we wouldn't actually be loving people truly if there's no truth in our words. Yet, as Jason preached a couple of weeks ago, the blessing of discipline and rebuke can actually be done and given to people softly and lovingly in all truth. The emphasis that the Proverbs make here is that soft answers, that the nature of how you say things go miles further than harsh responses. Harsh and rash, quick responses. 15.4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Notice the imagery here. Gentle tongue is a tree of life. The tree of life is the blessing of man's restored relationship with God, which we look forward to in Revelation 22. Do we want true restoration? Start with a gentle tongue. Because with it, you could break the hardest of hearts. Look at 25.15. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. This is the power of wise words when used wisely. Soft answers can break a bone without even laying a hand on them. So as we plan to apply all of these, being slow to speak and speaking selectively and softly, 
we also need to do this fourth application is to find the right timing. Speak and season. 2511, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. 1523, to make an apt answer is joy to a man and a word and season how good it is. A soft, well thought of answer in the right time and circumstance is worth more than gold or silver. And in the same way, that kind of answer, an appropriate answer, an appropriate timing is nothing short of good. Now, what I'm also not saying here again is that we, need, we can just wait weeks and months and years and neglect having that answer, but to answer someone wisely, we need to discern the best timing for a wise effort at restoration, and restoration is something that we want right away, not something that we can just put off. But a question popped in my head here. Uh, what if all these steps don't work? What if we apply all of these things, we uh, speak slowly, softly, uh, selectively, and in season, yet our wise words are still met with a foolish response? I was tempted to leave out this proverb, but this proverb spoke a lot to it. 14.7, leave the presence of a fool. For there you do not meet words of knowledge. And I thought, well, that sounds kind of harsh. Is that what we really do? do? Do we just give up? But here the Proverbs is saying, in some cases, the wisest thing to do is to leave. I'm not suggesting to do so in a rude manner and just <laughs> ring the door down. Don't let it hit you on your way back. But um, <clears throat> there are moments when we need to discern when we are, uh, sorry, there are moments we need to discern what we are giving up. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 6, don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you're dealing with a fool who won't listen to your repeated efforts at wisdom, then don't waste your wisdom on them. Paul did this in Ephesus. I'll give you an example here. When people attacked him as he preached the gospel in Acts 19, Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil, of the way before the congregation, Paul withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Not for a lack of effort on Paul's end, but he withdrew from them as he saw who they really were and what they really did. Either way, the power of the tongue can boast of great wisdom when these four applications from Proverbs are taken into account. Being slow to speak, speaking selectively, softly, and in season. These result in wise words that lead to life, again, not just for ourselves, but for others. I hope that's being stressed here today. So I want to end with a couple questions here today because we're capable of using the power of wise words, yet we're so much more prone to using the wicked words, the power of wicked words. So Question one, is this a mouth problem? Proverbs 17.20 says this, A man of crooked heart does not discover good, and one with a dishonest tongue falls into calamity. 
And I just remembered some of the other ones uh, in speaking selectively. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. I hope you're seeing the connection there. There's always a connection between the mouth and the heart. And they're not only consistent in Proverbs, but throughout the Bible as well. Consider Jesus' words in Matthew 12, 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the what speaks? The mouth. What comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. For out of the heart comes things like false witness and slander. Why is that? Well, the prophet Jeremiah describes the heart, the human heart, in that it's so deceitful above all things and that it's so desperately sick. And Paul picks that up in Romans 3 and says, because of our sick and sinful hearts, no one does good. As a matter of fact, no one says anything good because their mouths are filled with curses and bitterness and they only use their tongues to deceive. Talking about the human tongue. Romans 3, 10 to 14. The Bible clearly says that this is a heart problem. Yet this is why Jesus came and gave us better promises in the new covenant, which included the promise of spiritual heart surgery, right? I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will give you a new heart, remove the heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. And so... With my spirit within you, you can walk in my ways and obey my rules. Because of this, we are now able to walk in God's ways and obey him because we have Jesus Christ by his spirit dwelling within our hearts through faith. Ephesians three seventeen. So the second question for us today then is this. How does this affect our mouths? With our new hearts, we can now put off old tendencies and our proneness to using wicked words, the proneness to gossip and slander and, and make rash comments to hurt people. We can put that off, okay? Because we have new hearts and a new identity in Christ. We are made into new creation in Christ that's being conformed to the image of Christ. And now we have new lips that speak words of wisdom. Last proverb I want to share with you, Proverbs 16, 23. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Our new hearts given to us by God enable us to use good judgment with our tongues and discern whether our words are words of wisdom or whether the words of wickedness. And we're able to add persuasiveness. That's the same word for teaching and learning. We're, we're, we're able to add learning to our lips. We're able to train our lips. And even when we stumble, we can go to our heart doctor by faith who enables us to continue speaking wise words that give life to ourselves and to others despite our sinful tendencies because of the gospel, because Jesus paid it all on the cross. And so with our new hearts, we can build up and encourage one another 
right, with our words so that it becomes second nature to us, especially when we're faced with the temptation of wicked words and the temptation to respond foolishly. It's like a call to worship today, Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly while Christ is dwelling within us. So may the words of Christ dwell in us richly so that we may admonish one another. And so everything we do in word and in deed, we glorify the name of Christ. Hebrews 10 calls us to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. This is one reason why we meet together, to build up and encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. We would be wise to practice these, practice these four applications from Proverbs that exhort us to be slow to speak. And when you do speak, speak selectively, softly, and in season because these words lead to life for us and for others. And it's super important because the day will come when we will have to give an account for every careless word that we utter. That's Matthew twelve thirty six. That's a sobering reminder for us. Because our off-the-cuff statements that we habitually have said and always say, either privately or publicly, we'll give an account for. We'll be naked and exposed to the one to whom we must give an account. So let's be reminded of that, yet be encouraged at the same time with these new hearts that enable us to speak wisely with our tongues and use the power of our tongue. This is why we're going to sing the song, Take My Life and Let It Be Here, to close. Because this song is a prayer to God. And verse 3 says, Take my voice and let me sing, always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. So church, may the power of our tongues ever only unleash the power of God through the power of wise words. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Jesus Christ who was known and marveled at by his gracious words, Luke 9 says. And I pray that we can heed the exhortations of the book of Proverbs here today in that we're tempted to use the power of wicked words to hurt and destroy that now we're reminded it leads to death. God, help us to choose life. Help us to choose our words wisely. Help us to use them wisely as we are slow to speak and speak selectively, softly, and in season for your glory. In doing so, bring honor to the name of Jesus, who was tempted in every way, yet sinless in every way, including in all the words that he said. Thank you for your words here today. May we take them and may we breathe them out and may we speak them to one another, prayerfully encouraging one another until the day draws near. In your name, amen.